Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I am Charlie, the lead pastor here. Man, we're really glad you're here with us. We're um, three weeks into a series we've been doing called All In. It's based on a book that we've been reading in our small groups. We've kind of been just kind of doing all of this church-wide to kind of ask God to help us individually and as a church um, figure out what it would really mean in our lives and our church if we were completely in with what God wanted from us, called us to do. So this is week three. We've got a few more weeks after this. And you talk about all in, and most people there... Um, Immediately, kind of go to poker imagery, um, you know the you know putting all your chips in and the poker phenomenon with uh, Texas Hold'em, you know, a dozen or so years ago. And Mark, of course, made this joke last week if you were here that he didn't really know how to play Texas Hold'em, so he had to ask the pastor on how to, uh, to teach him how, which I was more than happy to do. It's actually a really fun game. Uh, there's a few things about it I like. One, there's just a lot of math involved. Um, you may think. Uh, I, I didn't know there was math involved. That's why you're not very good at it. Um, so every, everybody, everybody, you know, gets two. You know, you get two cards face down. You don't see, and then you make a bet based on what, ultimately how you think your hand's going to go based on these two cards. And then they they put three out uh, face up that everybody now shares. So now you have a five card hand. You're two and those three, and they put one more and they put one more, and then there's ultimately five. And so you're making bets based on. Uh, what you what is the best five card hand you can make with um, with these with these seven cards, and um, so there's again there's math involved there's probabilities percentages what do I have based what is the likelihood that someone else has something based on all these cards that could beat me so there's a lot of that but more than probabilities in math it's really more you're not really playing cards poker by and large is not a card game who has the best cards it's really a people game. You're, not, you're, you're less playing the cards than you're playing the person. You know, what is this person doing? What, what are their patterns? What are their habits? Why are they betting like this? What is the likelihood based on how nervous they seem, how excited they are, all of this? What is, you know, what, what are they doing? Can, can I intimidate them to, to fold a better hand than, than, than what they should? You know, it's, it's a people-reading game. And so you put two of my favorite skills together, uh, people-reading, and, um, and math, and it's actually a pretty good game for me. There's one part about it that I don't like, and it's the luck factor. You know, you do everything right, you've read the person right, but everything right, and then the one in 50 thing happens, and you're like, and then I get crazy, and then I'm not good anymore, and so that's why I don't really play. Um, but again, it's, 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 a, it's a people game. It's a people game more than a card game, right? And so, as we use this metaphor, going all in, I'm going to go all in with God. I would actually like, you know, you think about, I'm playing with a person. Who's the person that I'm playing in this game? Where where does God fit? So I'm playing and God's playing. Whose side is God on? And actually I would like to use um, a different uh, gambling metaphor. And again, you're going to go to a different church eventually, right? Um, You know, in the horse racing, you know, there's the, 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 the seedy people, right? The CD people that supposedly are fixing the races, right? And, you know, the, that happens sometimes. And if you got this inside tip from somebody that you knew 100% had fixed the race and you knew that horse number four was going to win because this guy told horse, horse number four is going to win, but no horse number four. Is that a risky bet at that point? Are you making a bet? And what are you making the bet on? I'm not making the bet on the race. I'm making the bet on this person. I'm making the bet on this person's information 
and what they know about what's about to happen. You know, and you can use less shady examples, you know. I mean, there's people who just know about these kinds of things or even, even less shady than all of that. You, a financial advisor, financial planner, a, a stock market analyst. Hey, you should invest in this. And so the risk is really based on the person. So in this game that we're playing, as we're trying to figure out who it is that God wants us to be and what our life should be like, we should imagine whatever game you would like, uh, whatever metaphor you would like, but you would imagine that you have an advisor. And this advisor is all-powerful. He's 100% invested in you, cares about you, and he knows all the details of what's about to happen. And so, when God says... I think you should do this. Is it risky? Is it risky when the God of the universe who loves you and knows everything and has all the power says you should totally do this? It'll be for your good. This will be good for you if you will do this. Well, it seems risky. Is it? So that's a question we're kind of contemplating a little bit today. I encourage you to turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14, can I make sure we are? Here we are in the chronology of all of this. Um, Israel finally now has a king. His name is Saul. David, who you may be familiar with, and we did a series on in the spring if you were around for that. Um, he's not king yet, um, but his friend Jonathan, we're going to be talking about him today. This is Saul's son, and in Saul's mind, the person who's going to be king after he dies. Um, but God has already anointed David to be that king. So we're here with Jonathan. Jonathan and David ended up being, becoming best friends. And Jonathan, in addition to being you know, David's friend, we also find out here in this story, he was actually a very capable warrior as well. Saul the king was, David was, and so was Jonathan. And so we have this story, and, the, and here the uh, Israelites are interacting with this group called the Philistines. And they're just kind of this, there's this constant foil all throughout um, the Old Testament, these people that are always, they seem to always be at war with. And what God has said, and what God has told them, is that He wants them to to purge them. He wants to get rid of them, get them out of the land, and that God has promised them victory. Right? And so now we're in the middle of one of these battles here in 1 Samuel chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 1. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father, Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Echabod's brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Senna. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, and the other to the south toward Geba. And Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. All right, let's make sure that um, we, we're, 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 we're tracking with, what, what, with what's happening here, because this is perhaps, in, in, a, in, a, in the Bible, in, in, it's just full of terrible military strategies that God ended up doing something cool. This one might be the worst. Okay? So, Jonathan... Just Jonathan and his armor bearer, so you can just kind of like his war assistant, you know, the guy who kind of fights with him. But just the two of them says, we should go to where the Philistine camp is. 
where their army is. And so they're walking along this pass, and there's a cliff here and a cliff here, and this is where they are. This is where the other army is, and they're down here. Now, I don't know how much you're familiar with the you know, kind of medieval, and this is you know, early in that, kind of the, the, the early war tactics, but I mean, even today, if you've got the high ground, you're pretty good. Like, I mean, just at a minimum, like, we can throw stuff at you. You can't get to us, right? We, we, we can get you. You can't get us. And they're down here. You know what we should do? We should go up there. We should climb the cliff and go get them. Okay? That's stupid. It's just dumb. It's a terrible idea. There's no way that it will work because even if somehow you should manage to climb the cliff, when you get there, you're exhausted for, you know, having just climbed the cliff, and, and now, you ha- now you're completely and totally outnumbered. Okay? So this, this, is, what his, this is what his plan is. All right? All right. So... So come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. And then he says this, this is very important. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from, from saving, whether by many or by a few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistine, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor-bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. So they're standing there at the bottom of the cliff, and they finally get these guys' attention, kind of little guard posts there, and then they kind of get their attention. And, and, and he's like, okay, if they see us, and say they're going to come down to us, that's no good. But if they say we should totally climb up, then we'll know. Which again, is just ridiculous. And so what they do, and so they climb up. And really the idiots in this story, I mean what Jonathan does is pretty dumb. But, 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 what, but what, what the Philistines do is even dumber. Oh yeah, climb on up. And then as they're climbing up, like, go get a boulder. Right? There's any number of things that you could do, but in their arrogance, they, they're, they're like, hey, yeah, we'll just... Yeah. We'll just, we'll just bring them on up here, man. This is going to be so fun. There's 20 of us. They're going to be exhausted. It's going to be amazing. And so in their arrogance, they do this. And there's a, there's a scene similar to this in The Princess Bride. If any of you, have, um, if any of you know that, that story, you know, it's, if, you don't, if you don't know, then I'm sorry. I apologize. I used a reference you don't get. Um, anyways. Um, so, and, 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 so, and then Jonathan, Jonathan wins the day. So it's a ridiculous military strategy, and, and, and God shows up. But honestly, man, if all throughout the book, all throughout the Bible, there are all of these ridiculous stories. I mean, Mark referenced a, a couple last week where God told Abraham, hey, leave your whole family, and I want you to go to this other place. And so God told him, and so he did it. It's crazy in that culture to have done that, but God told him, so he did it. And then he says, hey, I want you to take your son Isaac, the one who I promise is going to be an heir 
um, for, for you know, and, and be the father of a great nation. I want you to take him. I want him to be the sacrifice. And it says Abraham knew. He trusted God and knew that God would just apparently bring him back from the dead because he trusted in God's promise, so he's willing to do it, and God stopped him. And then we got some military stories. You may be familiar with this. Joshua in Jericho where they're trying to conquer this town, and, and rather than having a normal strategy, God says, hey, this, God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to march around once a day uh, for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to march around a lot, and I'm going to bring the wall down. That's not a military strategy. It's dumb. It's not, you don't march until walls fall down. It just doesn't work that way. But it's what God told them to do. And so they have a certain confidence. As ridiculous as this idea is, God told us to do it so we can have confidence in it. God, God didn't tell Jonathan to do this. He didn't tell him to do it. This was not, and God said, you should totally climb this wall. It would be hilarious, and, and, and I'll be with you. He doesn't say that at all. This is 100% Jonathan's idea. And here's the quote. I draw some attention to it. I'll bring some more attention to it now. Perhaps God will act on our behalf. Dude, if you're going to ask me to scale a mountain, to go be outnumbered and, and be completely and totally exhausted, I'm going to need a little bit better than, I don't know, maybe it'll work out. Who knows? Shrug. I mean, what's the armor bearer going to say? I mean, like, you don't, you don't argue with the prince. I'm like, okay, buddy, sounds like a great plan. And you're thinking, this, well, this is where I die. But, I mean, I just, just, okay, <laughs> if, if I say no, he's going to kill me because you don't backtalk him. So, all right, this is how we die, climbing a mountain. I'll just wait for the rock to hit me in the head, all right? And it's a, t- it's a terrible idea, but it's not, it's not even God's idea. He's not going there with this confidence knowing God told me to do this. So I know it's going to work. All he seems to have is, maybe, we'll see. We'll see when we get there. But here's the thing that he did have. He did have a confidence in this, that God was going to give them victory. He knew God could do it this way. He knew that God ultimately was going to give them victory. He had confidence in that. And so perhaps... This is the way that God's going to do this thing He promised He was going to do. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But I'm going to act in confidence, believing this is what God wants it, because I know the end is what He wants, and so I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it. At least we have a shot at winning here. We have a shot at winning. It's a better military strategy than sitting under a pomegranate tree, which is what his dad is doing. His dad, you can imagine this. Imagine this from an old movie, you know, with the, with the people with the with the big branches, with the big feathers on them, and he's sitting there under a pomegranate. And they ain't going to win no wars that way, right? So don't tell Dad and the little pomegranate tree. Maybe, but maybe God will give us victory. And so many of us, we kind of find ourselves in these kinds of situations. You may not know specifically what God's going to do, but you've got a pretty good idea about some things that you know that God wants you to do. If you've been visiting with us, maybe this is your first time, you've been here a couple times, there's this part of you that knows, I need to get connected to a local church. Perhaps this will be the church. Perhaps this will be the place that I should serve. Perhaps perhaps it is. You know, I know that I need people around me to hold me accountable. I need to get into a small group. It seems kind of nervous going to a small group. I'm not going to find the small group by not visiting. So perhaps this will be the group I'll go and we'll see. I know that God wants me to start serving my church 
perhaps it's in the nursery. Or perhaps I have a verse to poop smells. And it's not that. And I need to move up to the, the elementary age. Perhaps it's the elementary age. And then I realize I don't like that they can talk back to me. And so I'm going to go back to the nursery. But you're not going to find the thing that God is calling you to do sitting around doing nothing. Perhaps God will show up when I do this particular thing. I know God's ultimately going to show up because He wants this from me. And so some of you have been reading this book. Some of you haven't, but this book, it kind of starts off with this kind of crazy story about the way that missionaries used to go overseas. Before it was easy to get anywhere, the only place you could go if you wanted to go overseas, you had to, you were on a boat for like weeks, sometimes months. And once you go there, you didn't go and come back. These are not week-long trips or year-long trips. They were lifelong trips. And so you would pack everything that you still own and put it with you, and it says they would, they would pack them in their coffin. Pack all your belongings in a coffin, go be a missionary overseas. And some people are reading that. It's like, well, that's a little intense. Is this where this book's going? I don't know this is my new favorite book. I was like, well, is that, is that what it means? Is that what it means to be all in? I've got to plan my death, pack in a coffin, and go be a missionary. And I have no doubt that in this room right now that there are people that God is specifically saying that you need to go overseas and become a missionary and do awesome things for God in another country. I have no doubt about that. But it's really not about the specific thing. You know. You know where you are and where God wishes you were, and you're not there. And there's some things that God is asking you to do that you're not doing. And you need to take that step. You need to take a step and say, because the question isn't about whether or not I'm going to be a missionary in another country and pack my things in a coffin. The question is, is God really the Lord of my life or not? Is he really, like Anna was saying earlier, is he really the king or is he not? And if he says do it, I, sh- I must do it. And, and what do I believe about this God who is telling me to do this thing? Uh, what do I believe about this God who says that he wants the 10% of what I make, he wants me to give it back to him? What do I believe about him? What do I believe about this God who says that I need to be having an impact where I'm going to school? I need to impact the people where I'm working. He wants me to make the difference. I, I, what, what, what do I believe about him? And if he says it, am I then compelled to do it? And then we ask this question. Like we, and most, of us, most of us are not confused. Most of us are not sitting around here right now going, well, I just don't even know. I don't know one thing about my life God wishes were different about. I, I, don't, I, think, I think God just thinks I'm 100% great right now. Most of us come to church most weeks, and God is saying, he's tapping on you, saying, hey, some changes you need to make. That, that, that's not the problem. The problem is the courage to do it. Because whatever it is the thing is, it seems very risky. Which means to ask this kind of semi-rhetorical question. What makes something risky? What makes it risky? If God asks you to do something, is it risky? What makes something risky? I'm going to show you a video here in just a second. Uh, I'll t- uh, set it up. Uh, last year, at the, end, uh, the middle of August, we dropped our oldest daughter off at the U of A. And to kind of uh, help everybody kind of adjust to this, I took my wife on a few-day vacation to... Places where all pastors go, take their wife on vacation in Las Vegas. And um, you visitors, I know you're not coming back. I love you, though. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're here today. Today, I would love for you to come back. I get it. I get it, though. 
So there's this thing called the stratosphere. It's this giant tower. And you can go up to the 108th floor. And at the 108th floor, they will give you the opportunity to jump off the tower. You can just jump off the 108th floor. And I would like to show you um, a video of me doing just that off the 108th floor here. So here it is. Oh, there he is. There he is. He was there. And now, oh, my word. There he is. Woo! Hundred eighth floor. So I asked you this question. I asked you the same rhetorical question. Is that risky? Was that risky to do that? Was my life in danger? Tens of thousands of people have done that, and not one of them has died. Not one. Not one person has died. I would like to suggest to you that it was in fact more risky in the cab driving from our hotel to that place. By the percentages, I was more likely to get hurt or die in that car ride than I am in this thing where no one has ever gotten hurt. You're incredibly safe. They've got backups upon backups of how they have you hooked. It's a controlled fall. You're not really even free falling. They had a predetermined speed. They are essentially, it's essentially an outdoor elevator. (laughs) That's really all that is. That is all that is. But you don't get to see the floor of the elevator, right? That's all that's going on. I mean, what are you on an elevator? I mean, you're like, you're up high, and there's these cables, and they drop you down at a predetermined speed down to the bottom. You don't usually get to see it. You're not outside, right? It's not, it's, it, it's not risky. It's not risky at all. Let me, t- let me tell you when I was scared, though. I was scared. So I'm standing there inside in the, in the stupid little get-up, and, um, and they say, step outside. And, and, I, and there's a platform. At the end of the platform, there's no, like, gate or anything. It's like, between me, there's, like, to right here, there's, like, well, that... That's where you go off, and I'm just standing here in this outfit, and you're wanting me to step out here, and like I could slip and fall, or one of you could slip and fall, and then we're all in trouble. And I'm like, okay. So I kind of step out here, and I'm like, I, I would really love it if you would like connect me to something. And, I, and, and I'm really nervous the whole time. I think, oh, take another step forward and put your hand on this thing. Uh, put both your hands over here, and I'm like, and I'm just like so nervous, right? I say, well, now take your other hand and put it over here, and I'm like, okay. And, and, then, and then they finally, you know, they've got you hooked. And then I'm telling you, he grabs you right here, yanks you up, wedges you pretty bad. Because they, they, they don't want it to be on you how long you get nervous. For it. They say, okay, one, two, three, jump. And they say, one, two, three, jump. You know, right? They, they throw you out there. And so I'm real nervous. Well, I had, it turns out, you know, I had this GoPro think, camera on my deal. So you pay a little extra for it. And so I watched that video later. And it turns out while I was still inside, they hooked a safety um, thing to me right here. This is kind of this little red cord. They had, they had a safety thing on me right here. But I didn't, I didn't know it. I didn't, I didn't know that they had. And so I'm thinking that I'm out here completely, totally alone and scared and, and just at the, at, at, at the whim of these two guys and, and, and my ability to not be so nervous that I slip and fall. But the whole time... This cord has got me. Of of course there was. So I felt incredibly scared. But I was okay the whole time because this thing had me. So you're stepping out there trying to decide if you're going to get connected at a church in a small group where I'm going to to invest and, and try to 
start this new ministry with, with hurting people. I'm trying to make an impact at work, maybe start a Bible study or something with people that I work with or, or where I live or in, in my neighborhood, in my dorm, my fraternity, sorority. I'm trying, I'm trying to make some sort of decision, and it just seems, it just seems real risky. But God's got you already. And what feels like a risk to you, your brain is telling you, dude, you are 900 feet in the air. You don't jump off of buildings. And that's smart. My brain is smart. I'm not judging your brain or my brain or anyone's brain. That's a good brain. Good brain. Good job. But you're safe the whole time. And this whole time that you're taking this, this, this supposed leap of faith out into a different kind of world, a new kind of experience with God, a new kind of relationship with Jesus, a risk that you're trying to take in your personal life and, or in an outreach of some kind, every time God's got, God's got you the whole time. And then you still think, it, it, it still feels risky. But if God has you, and God loves you, and He is all-powerful, and He is all-knowing, and He's the one saying, you should totally do this. It's good. You should totally do it. Then it's not risky. So then the question is, whom are you following? Are you following, do you follow, the, do you follow the God of Jesus Christ who loves you and is all-powerful and knows everything? And he says, you should totally do this. It's good. And I'm telling you, if you ever find yourself anywhere near the stratosphere in Las Vegas, you should totally jump off that building. It is amazingly fun. It is so thrilling, that feeling. It's great. I think, man, this is, this was, it was good. And your perception of that, whether or not you believe me, is really based on, not the event itself, whether or not it's thrilling or not, it's your assessment of me. Some of you, I say, you should totally do it, and your thought is, that dude crazy. Right? I'm not listening to that guy. He's, he's crazy. God says to you, you should totally do it. I don't know. That's honestly that's why I think it's important for us to get into small groups. Because then not only do you have God telling you should totally do it, but now you get to surround yourself with people who have very similar stories. It's not just you sitting around anxious about your money thinking, man, I don't even know how I would begin to become a generous giver. And now you're surrounded by people who are saying things like, man, you will not believe what happens when you release this to God. What God does with that 90%, the way He blesses you, is so much more and greater and better than anything we ever did when we were holding on to it. And the more stories that you hear, the more experiences you have of other people, the more you trust. And honestly, the more stories you have... Let me tell you, if I, were, if I were ever decide to do this again, and I don't know that I would, but if I decided to do it again, I'm not going to be nervous because I know at this point right here they hooked me to a safety. They step out, like, okay. You know, and, 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 it's, and I already know how fun it is going down. Right now it's just a money calculation. It's not, it's not free. They're not letting you jump off the building for free. 
So to do it twice, I don't know if I want to do it again. But if I did, I know already. I know already. And, and there's countless illustrations of things like that. Things that you thought were just going to be awful, and then you finally did it. It was like, it was amazing. And that's how it is when we finally say yes to the thing that God's trying to get you to do. Once you finally got the story, I never thought... I was the kind of person who could be a part of a church. And then I went to this church and God did this thing and it was amazing. I never really wanted to be in a small group, but the best friends I've ever had have been in this small group. I never thought three-year-olds, three-year-olds are weird and awkward and they smell and just, but I love it. And after a while, when God says you should do this thing, you and God have enough of a track record where it's just not risky anymore, no matter how crazy the idea is. Like, man, God's just shown himself so many times. So if the thing that God is calling you to, it still feels like, I can't do it, it's too scary, it really is a question, uh, it really comes down to this, you just don't know God very well. And that's the kind of thing that we just need to work on. Because the God that we all say that we want to follow, ah, uh, He's not going to let you down. Now we're going to talk about this next week. Sometimes there's a really there's a gap of expectations between what let down means and good means, and lengths of time between doing the thing and the payoff. God sometimes is working on a completely different calculation. His his frame reference his reference of time is very different than ours. His definition of good is sometimes different than ours. But again, you take enough risks, you step out enough with God, you trust Him enough, you follow enough, you declare Him to be your Lord enough, and it just stops being risky. This is just me following a good God who loves me dearly. And so let's just make this commitment. We're kind of of at the midway point here of the series that we're doing, and hopefully you've gotten connected at a small group and you're having some good discussions about these topics. Let's just make this commitment to each other that we're going to pray for each other, and that we're going to pray that as individuals and collectively that we're going to be willing to take the risk. Sometimes it's kind of a church-related risk. Sometimes it's a ministry risk. Sometimes it's a relational risk. It's a relational risk to trust again someone who has hurt you, to repair a relationship that is broken. And God's calling you to do something that just, just doesn't feel right. But let's just pray that we would have the courage and that we could be the kinds of people, individually and collectively as a church, who are trusting God, who are all in, with a God that loves us and is looking out for us. And so if you've come here today and you kind of come here burdened, man, I just encourage you, go back here. We've got a prayer team back here. Man, they've been praying for you since before you woke up this morning, and that's just real. And they've been praying all day. And if you just need a little bit of help, man, they would love to pray with you. I, I strongly encourage that. Uh, they pray for me specifically every day. I get the, I get one or two of them will come and pray over me. And it is, it is one of the highlights of my week, the spiritual blessing that I get to have people pray with me. I encourage you. There's opportunities kind of for private reflection back there with communion and prayer candles and the cross. We have an opportunity to give, which I know is for a lot of people. It's kind of a big risk that God is probably prompting a lot of you to. But let's respond back and let's just kind of make this commitment together to be people who are completely all in with an awesome God. Let's pray.